Let's go to the Lord in prayer and ask Him to help us this morning as we look at His Word. Father God, we do thank You for Your Word. We thank You that in Your Word You tell us about Yourself, that You reveal Yourself to us, that uh, we know the truth of the Gospel through Your Word. And Father, that Your Word teaches us what to believe about You and what You require of us through faith in Christ. And so Father, as we look at Your Word this morning, we ask that You would use Your Word to shape us, to mold us, Uh, that you would use it to conform us more into the image of your Son, that you would use your Word to transform our minds, that we would think the way you think, and that our minds would be focused on the things that that you're focused on, Lord. And Father, that, that you would give us stronger faith. Father, that you would strengthen our faith through your Word. If there's anyone here that has not trusted you or come to a place to in their life where they have trusted in, in you alone for the forgiveness of their sins, the, the death, burial, and resurrection of your Son, Lord, that you would move in them today to place their faith and their confidence in you. Father, help us this morning as we look at your word. We ask all this in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Have you ever wondered what makes God angry? Have you ever just thought about that? Like, what angers God? And that may, not be a, that may not be a question that, that you're used to asking or thinking about. After all, because most of the time what we see around us or what we hear, hear talked about is that God is love. And He is. He is love. The Bible says God is love. Uh, but God is also wrathful. He's also just. Uh, he's also good and holy and righteous. And God is all of those things. And that's the thing about God, is God is not divided into any parts. Whatever God is, God is 100% those things. And, and for us, that's hard for us to understand. Uh, our minds have a hard time wrapping our head around how God can be 100% holy, 100% just, 100% love, and 100% oh, angry towards sin, wrathful towards sin. And so what is it that makes God angry? What is it that causes God's wrath, His anger, to be poured out? Uh, in, the, in the passage that we're going to look at today in Romans 1, 18 through 32, uh, we really see that, that it's all summed up in one thing, that there's just one thing that really angers God. And that one thing is the root of all other sinful things. Just this one specific Sin is the root of all other sins that we ever commit. And that one sin is what leads to God's wrath in a society. And so, I mean, just look around even our society today. Do you ever wonder why things are how they are? Uh, Do you ever wonder why uh, there is a a rise in in violence? There's a rise in in, um, fatherless homes. There is a rise in, in poverty. Uh, there is a they, there is a a rise in just violence and and destitution and all sorts of bloodshed and anger and rioting and just all these things. People are trying to go and say that your kids aren't your kids, and if you don't go the way people think you should go, they'll take your kids from you. Like, how does our country, our nation, our society get like that? Well, I would say. And I believe the Bible says that the reason things are like that is because God's wrath is being poured out. Um, when, we, when we look at God's wrath, or we think about God's wrath, His, His anger, because that's what wrath is, anger. God's anger, God's wrath. A lot of times we think like 
stories from the Old Testament, like Sodom and Gomorrah, God's raining fire out of heaven, destroying things. Uh, we think like big storms that come in and just wipe everything out. We think like the flood and Noah's Ark where God flooded the whole world and killed every living thing except for the living things that were on the ark. We think of like that as an example of God's wrath, and those are examples of God's wrath. But more times than not, God's wrath looks like normal, everyday things that we honestly become callous to and desensitized to and don't even notice anymore in our, even our own lives. And so as we dive into this passage today, as we look into Romans 1, verses 18 through 32, we're just going to be continuing our series here through the book of Romans. And, and over the next couple of weeks, this, this whole section that we're looking at is all about the, the unrighteousness of mankind, how all of us have a big problem, and that problem is that we're unrighteous, we're sinners, we have rebelled against God, we have committed treason against God, and, and this week focuses kind of on the, on the unrighteousness of the Gentiles, those who are not Jewish, the next week is the unrighteousness of the Jewish, and then the week after that is the unrighteousness of everybody, and as we look at these, we're going to see that all of these, no matter whether we're Jew, Gentile, or just everybody, they all are going to end up applying to ourselves in some form or fashion. And so as we look this morning here in Romans chapter 1, 18 through 32, uh, we'll look at that this morning. And we're going to see that Paul here, he describes just that, that God's wrath against idolatry is revealed in the destruction of societies. That that's really what God is angry with. Like what makes God angry is idolatry. And we'll talk a little bit more about what idolatry is here in just a few moments. And so if you look with me, Romans chapter 1, verses 18 through 32. If you don't have a Bible, there should be one in front of you in the pew. And that is going to be on page 883 in that Bible that's in front of you in the pew. And so right here, Romans 1, 18 through 32. We're going to see Paul warning and teaching about the fact that idolatry leads to the destruction of societies. Look in there, verse 18 with me. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them, because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world and the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. For although they knew God, they did not honor Him as God or give thanks to Him. But they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Therefore God gave them up the lust of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie. And worship and serve the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. Verse 26. For this reason God gave them up to dishonorable passions. For the women exchanged natural relations for those that are contrary to nature. And men likewise gave up natural relations with women and were consumed with passion for one another. Men committing shameless acts with men and receiving in themselves the due penalty for their error. And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God. God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. They were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice. They are full of envy and murder and strife, deceit, maliciousness. 
They are gossips, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless. Though they know God's righteous decree that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them, but give approval to those who practice them. Dear friends, this passage, I believe, teaches us that idolatry leads to God's wrath being poured out on a society. That idolatry leads to the destruction of societies, whether that society means our homes, our towns, our nation, and even our world, that the root cause of idolatry leads to that destruction. And this passage, it teaches us that that God's wrath against an idolatrous society is really revealed in in a series of three stages, three cycles. And each of those, you'll notice in this passage that three times it says that God has handed them over. And that's a scary thought. That God is basically saying, all right, I'm not going to restrain the evil anymore. I'm going to hand you over to the desires of your heart. You want a life without me? Here you go. This is what that life looks like. I'm going to hand you over to those sins, to that way of life, to this way of thinking. And so each of these series of stages comes with just increasing severity as he hands people over to more and more wickedness and hands societies over to more and more wickedness. You see, when God's wrath is revealed in a society, it's not usually just this huge supernatural looking thing like fire raining down from heaven or God's up there with a lightning bolt waiting to strike somebody. Usually it looks more like God is just lifting his restraining grace. The reason that none of us are just running around killing each other all the time is because God in his grace restrains the evil inclinations of our heart. Anytime we see something bad that's happened on the news and there's an interview and someone just said, I just didn't think they had it in them to do that. They, I just, there's no way they could have done that. They don't have the capacity to do that. Yeah, they did. We all do. We all have within us the capacity to do the most horrendous, evil, and wicked things. The only reason we don't, God's grace in our life. Even if we are an unbeliever, God restrains the wickedness of our heart. But as we rebel more and more against him as a people, as a society, as individuals, God lifts some of that restraining grace. And he hands over into more and more sin. He turns them over and hands them over to more and more wickedness. And so we start there right in verse 18. It talks about Paul saying that, that God's anger is being displayed in society, that God's anger is being revealed in society. It says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all the ungodliness and unrighteousness of men. And what is it that he is so angry about? Why is he revealing this sin? Or revealing, excuse me, this, this wickedness there? Because the, the people here, the unrighteousness, the ungodliness of men, who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. And so he is displaying his wrath against those who know the truth about God and yet suppress that truth inside of them. And so like in our our minds, what we're first thinking is, okay, it's talking about people who are Jewish, people who at least know something about the Bible. That's kind of what we think when we first look at this. Uh, After all, when we we think of those words ungodliness, unrighteousness, how are people who who don't have the scriptures going to know what ungodliness and unrighteousness is? I mean, we know that ungodliness and unrighteousness is basically the opposite of God, right? Godliness is being perfect, being holy. Jesus said, be you perfect as your heavenly Father in heaven's perfect. 
Uh, unrighteousness is just not being morally perfect. And so if we're righteous, if we're good, we're perfectly good. That's kind of the standard we have. And, and we see that we fail miserably as, at that. As everyone, we all just fail at that miserably. And so when we look here, we're first thinking that, okay, so these people know the truth about God. They have the scriptures. They suppress it. And so that's kind of what we think at first. But then we keep reading. And we see that, no, he's not talking about those who only have the scriptures. He's talking about everybody that's ever existed. Because nature itself testifies to the divine power, goodness, and beauty of God. Notice what it says there, verse 19. For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. How has God made it plain? How has God shown to all the people of the world that he exists, that he is a good God, that he is a just God, that he has all power? How has he shown that? Verse 20, he tells us, his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world and the things that have been made. So all of creation testifies to the fact that there is a God and that this God is powerful and that this God is eternal. And this news, this, this truth that's been revealed by God is enough to make it where no one has an excuse to stand before God on their own. It says there, so that they are without excuse. The idea is this. doesn't matter where you live in the world. If you have never heard of Jesus Christ and you die and you go to hell, you're, going, you're going to go to hell if you've never heard of Christ. Why? Because creation says you have no excuse. You know there is a good God. You should have served that good God. You should have honored that good God. So how much more should we go out and share the gospel, right? Because how are they going to believe in whom they've never heard? You can't be saved if you've never heard of Jesus, and you can't hear Jesus unless somebody tells you. And so all of creation, all the world, all people are without excuse because creation testifies to the fact that there is a God that is good and that is eternal and that is just. And some of us may say, well, how is that even fair? How can God condemn somebody who'd even hear of Jesus Christ? To which we would say, well, one... Who are we to answer back to God? God's God. He can do what He wants. But two, the Bible is clear we all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. So all of us, all of us have sinned. None of us deserve heaven. None of us deserve forgiveness. And yet God graciously has given it to us and has told us to go out and share the good news. Like our brothers and sisters that are in Nepal that are out there and they're sharing the good news in a place where they're not allowed to do it. Guess what? They're doing it anyway. Why? Because people need the gospel. They need Jesus. And the Bible tells us here that, that what they have done, they're without excuse and this is why they're without excuse. Verse 21, although they knew God, they did not honor Him or give thanks to Him as God. Uh, so they, they knew God. They didn't honor Him. They didn't give thanks to them. They became futile in their thinking. In other words, foolish. They became foolish in their thinking. Uh, they began thinking that they were able to do everything on their own, that they are the supreme being. Uh, they began to worship uh, not God, but rather began to worship all these sorts of things that God has made. They began to worship creatures rather than the Creator. Verse 22, claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. That right there is why God's wrath is being poured out. 
because of idolatry. And idolatry is basically when we prop up anything before God. When we worship anything other than God, that is idolatry. Uh, The first four of the Ten Commandments all have to deal with some form of idolatry and how we're to worship God. We're to have no other gods but God. We're to have no graven image of them, so we're not like supposed to be running around with graven images of, of, of God. Uh, we're not supposed to be worshiping those graven images. We're supposed to worship, you know, worship God on the Sabbath or the Lord's Day, and we're not supposed to take His name in vain. And all those things have to do with how we worship God. But the problem is, is that in our natural self, we suppress the truth of who God is. We commit idolatry and we end up serving what God has created instead of the Creator. And now we may not be running around like worshiping little idols, right? Like we may not have Buddhas lifted up. I mean, sometimes you go to some restaurants, they'll have like Buddhas and all that that they're worshiping, or they have like that cat with that pole, you know, and it's doing that, and they're like hoping it brings them good fortune or whatever. And you have people that still do those things, but like most of the time we're not running around and we're not popping up these idols and worshiping these different idols. But we do build idols in our own minds, don't we? Right? Like, we build idols in our own minds. How many of us serve money? And like, money is the be-all, in-all of everything. Like, we have to get more and more and more money. And we're so stingy sometimes that, that, that we, we, we do without some things that we could afford just because we just don't want to spend the money. How, or we don't want to be generous or we don't want to give. And thankfully, I mean... As far as I know, from what we can tell how the Lord's been blessing this church, we, we are a very generous people. That God has just been so generous to us. And that reveals itself in, in our generosity and our giving toward missions and things like that. But in our natural self, sometimes we build up those things. And money's, money itself is not evil. But the love of money is. The love of uh, money itself is not evil. But it makes a terrible God. And how many times do we sometimes put our relationships with other people at the forefront? Or we're more worried about our relationship with other people than we are with our relationship with God. And can I tell you something? Your friends, that's a gift from God. Your spouse is a gift from God. Your kids are a gift from God. But guess what? They make terrible gods. They make terrible gods. And so often we ourselves prop up these different things in our life that become idols in our life and they, they take the place of God. And so I think it's important for all of us, no matter who we are, to ask ourselves, okay, God, what is it that I am putting before you? Is there anything in my life that I am serving other than you? Because when we talk about idolatry leading to the destruction of societies, I don't just mean nations. I mean even in our homes and in our families. Uh, Because a society is just a collection of people, right? And so like when you have a home, that is a collection of people. And if there is idolatry in the home, that's going to be the starting point of the home falling apart, of the home breaking down. If there's idolatry in a nation, that's the same thing. It's going to be started that nation to begin declining and falling apart. And we see this right here as we move into verses 24 to 25, this first stage of God's wrath. So these, the idolatry has come up. People have suppressed the truth about God. And so verse 24, God has gave them up. That's the first time we see that in this passage. God has gave them up. And it says that he gave them up over to impure lust. Notice what it says there. Gave them up in the lust of their hearts to impurity. 
uh, impure lust are just simply wicked desires. And so the first stage of God's wrath being revealed in the society is just that people in the society have wicked desires. That's where it starts. Just this desire that's inside of us to do things that, that are dishonoring to God. And even, it says, dishonoring to our own bodies. That there becomes a lack of respect for, for who we are as people. Lack of respect for those that are in our societies. Lack of respect for even ourselves, Because it says there it led to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves. And the whole reason for that, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie. And worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator and so this first stage of god's wrath is that he hands people over to have wicked evil desires and that's really where all sin starts is with our desires and so our desires when they're fully born they give birth to sin and sin gives birth to death and so but it all starts with wicked desires and so we, we look around us and even into our own homes and we got to ask ourselves, is there any desire in my life that is unholy, that is unrighteous, that is impure? Is there anything that, that am I coveting anything from anybody? Am, am I lusting? Am I angry all the time? Am I desiring to do ill toward my neighbor? Are there any wicked desires in my own life? All of those things derive from the fact that there's idolatry within our hearts and in our minds. That we worship and serve the creature rather than the creator. And so God hands over society to impure lust, to these wicked, evil desires. And that's just where it starts, with the desires. But as we move through this into verse 26, we see that God repeats that phrase. And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God. So in other words, the first stage didn't work. God withdrew some of his countenance, allowed people to have those wicked desires and allowed them to continue to live. And that was supposed to bring them to repentance, but it did not work. They refused to turn back to God. And so it says, since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, since they did not see fit to worship God, it says God gave them up to dishonorable passion. So that's the second stage. That God not only hands over to society to impure lust and desires, but He hands over a society and a people and maybe even you to dishonorable passions. And so dishonorable passions really are just these really, it's at this point more than just a desire, right? Like sometimes we have fleeting thoughts, small temptations, and like we just have this desire. But there are sometimes when you just have a burning, eager passion to do something. Like you just really want to do it. It's more than just you, you have a desire. It's like you're craving it. You have to have it. You have to do this. There's no exception. Like you cannot get rid of that temptation no matter how hard you try. You just have this strong pull craving in your life. And so that's what this idea of a dishonorable passion is, is that you have the strong, the shameful cravings and emotions. It's a step further than just desires and, and these, these discernible passions, really, it leads to the disorder of God's creation, the disorder of and the disruption of the order in which God created things. And so what we see here is that, okay, the people have replaced the natural world with what's unnatural. In other words, instead of worshiping God who created the world, 
and letting the world testify to what God has done, they now worship the world and they've turned everything upside down. And so God hands them over to dishonorable passions to do even more of what is contrary to nature. Notice there verse 26. For this reason God gave them up to dishonorable passions. For their women exchanged natural relations for those that are contrary to nature. And men likewise gave up natural relations with women and were consumed with passion for one another. And so part of God's wrath in this society is when you have men and women who no longer want to be together with each other, that they're exchanging God's natural order of things and they're inflamed with cravings and desire for one another. God created man and woman in such a way that they interact in a natural way together and everything's how it should be. But because of the idolatry in our life, God hands us over to even more uh, carnal cravings that, that lead us to disrupt the, the order of how God has created things. And so instead of men trying to go around and get married to a woman and have kids, and instead of women desiring to have kids and a family, you have women that are falling in love with women and men that are falling in love with men, and they're running around and it's destroying societies because when men and women don't get together, what doesn't happen? Babies. You don't get babies. And when there's no babies... There's no society. And so we see that that in itself is another example of God's wrath being poured out in a society. And the result we see here in verse 27, men committing shameless acts with men and receiving in themselves the due penalty for their error. A lot of times we try to figure out what that is, right? And some people, they try to say, well, that's just AIDS. Honestly, I think it's more of a spiritual penalty. I, I think that when we go and we fall into those cravings, that our hearts become so calloused that we no longer recognize good from evil and evil from good. That, that when we go into any sort of unnatural relationship, when, when you have... Uh, a guy in love with a guy or a woman in love with a woman or you have a guy who thinks he's a woman or a woman who thinks he's a guy or you have a guy or a woman who's in love with a child that when you act on those things and when you have those desires that that something happens inside of you that just sears your conscience that 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 in and of itself is is the result of God's wrath being poured out that we have these dishonorable passions. And so the due penalty inside of us, I, it, it could be physical, it could be spiritual. I really think it is spiritual more than anything, that it calluses our consciences and it, it literally makes it so hard for us to see the truth of God's Word. And that's not just with homosexuality or transgenderism. That's really with any sexual sin. That when we, Because sexual sins are in such a way that, that they tie into our emotions and into the depths of who we are, that it can make us calloused to the truth. And yet still, it says people didn't see fit to acknowledge God. And so we see that God hands over a society, stage three, to a debased mind. Verse 28, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not be done. 
riots that burn down cities, businesses, cars, attack the police, are now called peaceful protests. Over 60 million children have been murdered in the womb since Roe versus Wade. People are going around just killing people because of their race. Whites killing blacks, blacks killing whites. You see that on the news. All sorts of wickedness. People trying to allow men into women's locker rooms and women into men's locker rooms. President of the United States saying that abortion is a great good and that the Supreme Court did a, a, a terrible thing by overturning Roe versus Wade. The last stage of God's wrath in a society is when the society begins to call evil good and good evil. Does that not describe the situation in which we live now? Where evil is called good and good is called evil. That it is considered loving to euthanize an old person because they're old. Where it is considered good to dismember and disfigure a baby in the womb and crush their head because that's supposed to be good. Uh, Where you can get in trouble for sharing the gospel at a pride parade and yet you have men who are walking around basically nude, gyrating in front of kids and that's completely fine. We are calling good evil and evil good in our society but let me warn you it's very easy for us as Christians to look outside into the chaos of this world and not recognize the own sin and the own idolatry in our own hearts because we can become so focused on the terrible things that are going on in our society and they're terrible I hate them I pray that God brings an end to the wicked in this country but we need to understand that that in and of itself can become an idol for us. Where instead of focusing on our own relationship with the Lord, we're more focused on what the world is doing out there and how terrible it is. Instead of focusing on trying to share the good news of the gospel with the world that's dying and perishing, we can become so focused on the fact that who we want in the White House is there or who we want in the White House is not there. We become so focused on the politics of it all. We can become so focused on what everyone else is doing that we fail to look in our own lives and destroy the idols that we have built up in our own lives. And so, idolatry, it leads to God's wrath being poured out in society. And His wrath is revealed in these impure desires, these lusts, these passions, and really just these debased minds. It happens in every sphere of society, from government to schools to cities to our own homes, and God forbid, sometimes even in the church. And so we must turn from those things and look to God. Because the only way that we can escape the wrath of God is to be covered by the righteousness of Jesus Christ. If anything, what this tells us is that we are in a world of trouble. And guess what? We all are. For the Bible says, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We all have put up idols in our own life. And the only way to escape the wrath of God that's being poured out is by recognizing our own unrighteousness and turning to Jesus Christ who is righteous. So if today you recognize that you're unrighteous, turn to Christ. 
Trust in him and him alone. He's the one who has paid for your sins. He's the one who has covered your sins. He has paid for your unrighteousness on the cross of Calvary. So believe that Jesus is your only hope in escaping that wrath. Doesn't matter who you are, you can trust Jesus. Doesn't matter what you've done, you can trust Jesus. By believing in the gospel of Christ, you are covered by the blood of Jesus and you're set free and rescued from the wrath of God that is being poured out. We may still suffer, but guess what? All they can do is take something from us that's not ours anyway, and that is our life. We can't control when we die. We can't, but God already knows. And if it's not our time to go, guess what? We ain't going. We are invincible until it's the Lord's time for us to go. And so we can just live our life honoring the Lord, serving the Lord, trusting the Lord, because He is the one who has allowed us to escape from the wrath that is to come. So I encourage you, as we move and navigate through this world, don't lose sight of the fact that, yes, this world is crazy and is going to Hades in a handbasket. Don't lose sight of the fact that we, too, often build up idols in our life, and we need to constantly be waging war against those idols in our life. John Calvin once said that the human heart is a perpetual factory of idols. In other words, the more we kill an idol in our life, our heart produces another one right next door. And then another one. And then another one. And then another one. And so all through our life, we must constantly be orienting ourselves back to Christ. Looking to Christ. And it is my prayer that God will help you recognize the the stages of, of this wrath in society and that that would cause you to look inward toward yourself and ask yourself, Lord, is there any unclean way in me? Is there any idols that I need to tear down in my life so that you can turn back to God and you can help others do the exact same thing? Because the only hope of a nation, the only hope of a society, the only hope of a home is not who's in charge of the government. It's not who's in the House of Representatives. The only hope is Christ. That's it. And so if we want to see societal change, if we want to see society flourish, the way we do it is not at the ballot box. The way we do it is in prayer and sharing the good news of Jesus Christ. Not the ballot box, but the streets. Sharing the good news of Christ. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank You for Your Word. We thank You that... That nothing that we see around us surprises you. That you are a good God who is gracious and merciful. And that even though your wrath is being revealed against all the unweakness and ungodliness of men, that you have provided us an escape from your wrath because your Bible tells us that while we were sinners, you have died for us. That that's how you showed your love for us. And so, Father, we thank you for the blood of Jesus that covers our sins, that helps us to escape from the wrath that is to come at the end of the age. And we pray, Father, that you would send us out as your people into this world, that we would be more focused on sharing the good news of the gospel than we are on the terrible things that are happening in the world, that we would seek and pray and desire to see other people come to know you, that they can be saved, that they can trust you, that they can have the hope and the peace that we have because, Father, we don't only care about ourselves, we care about all the people that are around us, all the people of the world, because we know that you have sent your Son to die for them. So, Father, send us out into your world as people with the good news of Jesus Christ. We ask all this in your name. Amen.